All right. I, <laughs> one of the great things about Facebook memories is that uh, it makes you realize that um, things happen over and over. Um, I realized this week that I think this is the fourth straight year that Pastor Greg has asked me to preach the Sunday before Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. So like you guys, are, I'm always the last voice you hear at the end of every year. So thank you, Pastor Greg, for that. I wonder why you do that. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to write a sermon the week of Christmas. I feel like I've been hoodwinked into something here. Um, the last couple of years, I actually gave away gifts, no gifts today. Uh, I was a little cash poor, so I hope you guys are all right with that. The great part about having uh, this worship at 11 o'clock, one worship, is that I can go to another church and steal the sermon and then come straight here. So um, the pastor that I heard this morning talked a great sermon. Um, I'm just kidding, but we're going to go through, I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 10. It's going to be up on the screen, but if you're someone who wants to read on your phone, you, you've got your hard, uh, hard copy of the Bible. Uh, I'm going to read through, and then I, I want to go through this because this is a, a series of verses that's going to lead to a series that our church is going to do starting in mid-February. Um, and so today I wanted to do a little teaser with that, um, but also because it's a, a good way to start the year, and also it hit me pretty hard on Thursday. So let me start in verse 25. Of chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by, on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is a story we've all heard. This could be your first time ever coming to church. And you're probably familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. And so I wanted to go through, there's some stuff that isn't obvious some, uh, some facts that give some flavor to the story, but also I don't think the story is about what we thought it was about. I don't believe that this scripture is about roadside assistance. I don't. I, I don't think this is about helping somebody with a flat tire. Maybe it is, a little bit, but there's a lot more here. And so I'm going to walk through this scripture and point out little things that I think are important to the way that we live and the way that we are going to go into the next year I know a lot of times stuff happens uh, each year and we carry it over. 
you know, you, I'm not here to brag. I had an amazing 2019. I turned 40 and I'm still alive, right? I mean, the, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But it's been a great year. Some people would not say that. They would say this has been whew, a rough year. I've seen a couple people uh, put on their Twitter accounts just 2019 colon and a picture of a fire in a dumpster, right? I mean, some people feel that way about 2019. So we all carry stuff over into the next year. And I thought this might hit us right where we are. So I'm going to start at the beginning of verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now pause for one second. This isn't a guy who's coming to Jesus as he, as he teaches and just wondering what Jesus thinks. This is not an open-ended, well, I'm looking for an answer to a question, so I might as well ask that question. If this guy is an expert in the law, his job is to spend time discussing the law with other like-minded law experts. They've, they've formed uh, theses, they've formed ideas, they've, they may have written their own manifestos at this point. And so this person who's coming to Jesus saying, uh, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is not an open-ended, I wonder what Jesus thinks. He's testing. He's seeing if Jesus agrees with him or if he doesn't agree with him, if he can dismiss Jesus because of the way that Jesus answered, or if Jesus is okay in his book, right? And so this expert in the law is not asking an open-ended question. He's testing. He's prodding. He's trying to see whose team is Jesus really on. Is he on my team? If he's on my team, then I'm good with him. If he's not on my team, then I'm going to discard him. And just that statement right there might apply to somebody in this room. Is Jesus on my team? Is he, is he okay with what I'm doing? Because if not, I'm done with him. But if he's on my team, then I'm cool with Jesus. It's just, some of us like to approach Jesus with this uh, collegial relationship. As long as you're good with me, then I'm good with you. And I don't think that Jesus should be approached that way. So this expert in the law asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus answers a question with the question, you tell me. What do you think? He says, answer the Lord. Uh, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's it. That's the end. Jesus, yeah, all right, I agree, we're good. Jesus was ready to be done with that answer, but this expert in the law wasn't done with what he was trying to do. And so he pushes Jesus just a little bit more. Jesus knew more was coming. But the next line is one of my favorites. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Just the words that ring in my head over and over every time I read this is he wanted to justify himself. He didn't come for answers. He didn't come for change. He didn't come for guidance. He didn't come to try to learn a new way for him to live, the way that Jesus has been preaching throughout all the villages. He wanted to justify his own way. I will admit that sometimes I walk into this room on a Sunday morning and I could care less what is spoken on uh, up front 
what the words of the worship are, or even what the Spirit of God might be trying to move me to do. Sometimes I walk in and I'm like, nah, today God better line up with what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not here to change. I'm here to check the box. That's where I am. And th this is where the expert of law was. He asked a question to justify himself. He didn't ask the question to learn. We did a thing uh, at the coffee shop, uh, the coffee bucket, a few months ago called Mindful Mondays. And one of the Mondays, we talked about ourselves and the kind of soil that we are. Are we concrete where when uh, a seed is planted, it just falls off to the wayside? Or are we the loose soil that when a seed of truth or a seed of love or a seed of growth is planted in us, we are the type of soil where that seed grows? Does that analogy carry out? You get what I'm saying? When something hits me, am I allowing it to grow inside of me? Or am I good? Am I set? Am I, is my ram full? Am I, am I done for the day? I'm not ready to grow. I'm not ready to take in anything else. Sometimes when we approach God, we have to check our own soil first. Before we come to worship, we need to make sure that we've tilled the land so that way any seed that God is planting in us, any movement of growth that he wants from us to do, we're ready to take in and let take growth inside us so that we become more like him. And so he says, uh, it says here, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? I'm going to give away something right now. We're starting a, a series in 49 days. This is one series away, but that series will be called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We came up with it by ourselves completely uh, creative in our own way. But we'll be doing a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And this guy, when he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? The second part is love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, okay. And says, well, I, but who's my neighbor? Essentially, he's saying, who's the important one? He's, he's walking into an, uh, a business establishment and saying, I'd like to speak with the manager, please. Who's the important per like, okay, I get to love your neighbor, but let's let's break this down brass tacks. Who's the actual neighbor? Who do I actually who do I need to love? Like lay that out for me. And so Jesus tells a story, a parable. A man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of the robbers. Pause right there. We just had how many people went to Israel? Greg? 14 of y'all, right? And so I'm going to say something that the all, all of you know, but some may, some may not. Jerusalem is at an elevation of 2,400 feet above sea level, roughly. Maybe a little more than that. It's about, it's at the mile high city. It's the half mile high city, okay? Jericho is the city that's, uh, ancient Jericho is at the lowest sea level of any city in the world, 800 feet below sea level. I don't even understand how that works. Okay, but Jericho is 800 feet below sea. The, the elevation change between Jerusalem and Jericho is over 3,300 feet. Okay, and they're only 16 miles away, just under 26 kilometers away. So in 15 miles, the elevation change is 3,300 feet. So when Jesus says, a man happens to be going to, you know, from Jerusalem to Jericho, He's not just throwing out random cities. When he says that, the crowd, the listeners are going, 
Oh, that's a terrible journey. That's awful. There's mountain ridges. You're walking alongside of cliffs. It's a road that most people don't travel because it's dangerous. And robbers of the day would know it's dangerous. And so they would wait there knowing that they would have a better chance to be successful in robbing someone. This is not a great... And it has context, right? If you told me, yeah, I was uh, about 8 a.m. on Tuesday. I was driving from Clarkson down to Detroit. That's got context. Like, ooh, that's bumper to bumper. And I hope you had two podcasts lined up in the car, right? The, the journey had context. So before the story even happens, Jesus is laying out, this is not an easy road. And this guy is traveling. And on that road, he was hit by a band of robbers. It says, they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Unrelated, kind of. Uh, 2009, about 10 years ago, some friends and I were moving. They were moving from Otisville, about 45 minutes north of here, to a house that they had bought in Lake Orion. And I lived in Clarkson at the time. And when you're in your 20s, it just seems like when you're 20s, your friends move a lot more. And so you get asked to move a lot. Or, hey, can you help me move? I got a couple couches. I got heavy stuff. And it always starts with like a group of 10. Yeah, I got, like a, I got a bunch of people coming to help me move. Can you? But on, the, on moving day, it's not usually 10, right? And on this particular day, my friend Don was like, hey, can you help us move? I said, sure. And I got there. And it was me and Don and his wife. And multiple. And the house that they moved in, it, the layout was. I mean, it was not easy to get anything in. Forget the fact that he had like two wraparound couches and I said words that I had to confess the next Sunday. And I mean, it was, it was a long day. I think we finished loading and unloading and everything around 1 a.m. And so uh, I was going to come home to Clarkston. And so my route, which I was not familiar with because I didn't know Lake Orion that well at that time, was to drive Clarkston Road from M24 all the way into Clarkston, into where I, uh, the apartment where I was living. You guys are familiar with that road, right? Okay. So that night, 1 a.m. Oh, uh, I should say that I was, when I was helping Don move, uh, I had to empty my car out so I could get as much of his stuff in my car as possible for the move, which meant that I emptied the trunk out, including all kinds of hardware that's in there. Uh, things like the kind of thing you would need to change a tire. In storytelling, that's called foreshadowing. So I get on Clarkston Road, and I start to make my way, and somewhere along the route there, not a high, uh, not a lot of stuff going on on Clarkston Road, I hear a thunk, 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 thunk. I pull off, and my tire is flat. It's not low. It's flat. It's done. And I'm like, well, I don't have the tire change and stuff. I'm going to have to make a call, and I reach in my pocket. And my phone's not there. It's sitting on the end table in Don's new house. And it's 1.30 in the morning on Clarkston Road. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't know really where I am. I don't have a phone to call. I don't have the tools to change a tire. And I'm sitting in my car. For, I have the flashers on. I'm sitting there for five minutes. Nobody's gone by. And so finally I get out of the car and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. I'm like, maybe somebody will come by, and a car starts to come. And I'm waving, but it's 1.30 in the morning on Clarkston Road, and no lights. The car just passes. Another car passes. I'll make the story short. 
uh, story short, the story short, uh, six cars passed, nothing. So I jogged, not in shape, about three miles to the 7-Eleven on Sashaba, asked them to use their phone. They said the phone is not used for customers. They sent me on my way down to what is now the mobile station at 75 in Sashaba. They let me use a phone, called the police, ran all the way back to my car. Because at this point, what is it, three-something? And uh, they came and changed my tire. I was stranded. And as I read through the story, I'm like, I, I remember what it's like to be this man. Maybe not beaten and maybe not robbed, but stranded. So the story goes on. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, which is a hilarious turn of phrase because the road is the, it's the width of this aisle. It's, there's a cliff on one side. You're going down a mountain. So to walk on the other side of the road means to walk, I don't know, three feet out of the way. And then the story goes on. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Again, there is no other side. We're walking down the mountain to Jericho. There's not much of another side. And in the story, it makes the priest and the Levite sound like bad people. I do feel like context is important. The priest has specific roles when it comes to worship in the Jewish community. The Levite, uh, the Levites were people who were part of the tribe of Levi. They were, uh, your bloodline was very important in those days, your Jewish bloodline. And Levites had important roles in governing and teaching. And there were specific Jewish rules for cleanliness. And if this man was beaten and stripped and on the side of the road, there's a chance he's bloody. And if you're a clean man who leads worship or teaches or governs, and you touch a man, or you touch another man's blood, you've now made yourself unclean and unable to perform the roles that you're ordained to perform. If I could take out of context here, if Pastor Greg was going down the road and he finds this man in those days, he touches the man that's unclean. He's not allowed to preach on Sunday because he's unclean for a certain amount of time. And so both of these men coming down the road, seeing this man that was beaten, have a decision to make. Do I help this person in front of me? It's going to be messy and it's going to impact my life more than just this moment. I'm not going to be able to do something else that I think I should be doing. So they had to make a call and they walked to the other side of the road. You get the picture? So Jesus is talking to this expert in the law, and the way that he's telling the story, he's setting it up for the priest and the Levite to walk on the other side of the road. And it's like any, any joke where three, three guys walk into a bar, right? So the third one you would think would be an expert of the law. You would think that Jesus is setting up for an expert in the law to be coming down the road and to help this man that was beaten and left for dead. But that's not what happened. Instead, he brings up something much more surprising, he brings up a Samaritan. If you've heard this story before and you know anything about Samaritans, Samaritans are half-Jews. And what I just said was that the bloodline in Jewish culture was very important. And if you were a half-Jew, you were despised. You weren't worth talking to or having around. There was a deep divide between the pure-blooded Jews and the Samaritans who were half-Jews. They, they were Jews who had been bastardized. 
they were unworthy to even be spoken of or talked to. And Jesus says a Samaritan's coming down the road. So a priest, a Levite, and he flips the script with the Samaritan. We'll continue on. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. The Samaritan puts himself out in three ways. In relationship, he, it says he bandaged the man's wounds. He then took some stuff that he had, some wine and some oil, and he used that to treat the man. So not only did he give him his relationship, he served him, and he served him with his stuff. But then he invested. It says that he took him to the inn, and he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which is about two days' worth of uh, wages. Translated for someone who makes a modest living these days, he gave the innkeeper about 500 bucks for someone he didn't know. And he said, I'm going to come back, and if I owe more, I'll give more. He invested himself with his own relationship. He invested with an act of service, and he invested with actual hard-earned cash to a man he did not know, to a man who did not live next door to him. So in the traditional words, he was not a neighbor. But in that moment, Jesus tells the story, and he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And I missed this the first 10 times that I read this, but I'm going I'm to point this out here. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I want to pause right there and read a little into the story. As I said, Samaritans were looked down upon. They were hated by the Jews. And if you were an expert in the law, then even more so, this person was uh, a roach on the floor of your, of your day of life. And it says that uh, the priest walks by, the Levite walks by, the Samaritan is the one that does the work. The Samaritan is the obvious answer. Jesus said, which of these was the neighbor? And the man can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Instead, he says, the one who had mercy on him. I think we all know people, and a lot of the people that I know who have gone through divorces won't say the name of the person, they, their ex-spouse. They'll just call him my ex. They won't even say the name because there's something there. Some of us have worked places and we were let go from a job in a way that we thought was unsavory, not right. We feel like we were wronged and we were indignant. And when we talk about the person that was our boss, we say, ah, my old boss. Not Jeff. Not Wendy. My old boss. Sometimes when we have people that we feel like have wronged us, when we've got a, a grudge that we like to hold, we don't even want to say the name. I can't even say your name. It's my ex, my old boss. 
I've spent some time with some people this year uh, involved in the political process on both sides. I've spent some time with conservatives who will use words like, oh, those libs. Those libs. I've spent some time with people who, uh, who would be, call themselves liberal, and they refer to the other side as the MAGA, oh, that MAGA crowd. The MAGA, they, even if those people are people that they know. We give a new name to the people whose names we can't stand to say because we think they're less than. In this story, the expert in the law saw the Samaritan as less than, and so he could not even say his name. Couldn't even say his name. And I'm wondering if when we give someone another name other than their own, are we looking at them different than God looks at them? Are we viewing them or loving them different than God loves them? That if I'm going to love my neighbor, and I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor is part of that, then maybe loving my neighbor means being able to let go of those stupid grudges that bring us down. That we can carry into, that we could carry those into 2020. But if we are going to be who God's called us to be, maybe it's not my ex anymore. Maybe it's not my boss, ex-boss anymore. Maybe it's not those libs or that MAGA crowd anymore. Maybe it's not those names anymore. Maybe it's Jeff. Maybe it's Sherry. Maybe it's fill in the blank. When we carry those things that do allow us, don't allow us to even say the person's name, we are viewing them different than God sees them. God, the, Those people are children of God destined for his glory just like you are. So loving our neighbor means letting go of those grudges. Loving our neighbor means valuing, loving them over something that we think were entitled or should be doing. The priest and the Levite could have gotten involved, but oh, they had to make a determination. No, this other thing is more important. So this guy, he can rot on the side of the road. The last thing I want to point out is that in verse 29, the expert of the law, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You know what didn't happen in the story? Jesus never answered the question. We're going to dive into, won't you be my neighbor in seven weeks? But for now, when the guy asks Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells a parable that points out that no matter who your neighbor is, it's you that needs to be the kind of neighbor that I've called you to be. When you step into a business, a place of business and you ask to speak to the manager, Jesus, Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's not, about, it's not important who you're doing this to. It's about how you are being, the kind of neighbor that you are going to be. Are you willing to love the way that God loves? Are you willing to forgive the way that God forgives? Are you willing to step into 2020 and say, I will be a neighbor to whoever God puts in my path, and I will be the kind of neighbor that God calls me to be. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I will love my neighbor as myself. And I will let go of those stupid things that hold me back, that cause divisions, 
between the people that I can't even say their names anymore. It's time to start saying those names because God calls them by their names. This year, let's let go of our stupid grudges. Life is hard enough as it is without having to carry around the people that we should be forgiving. It's time to start being the neighbor that God calls us to be.